KHOI Story City Ames, and you are listening to I Am Able Iowa, where we discuss the ability and disability. I'm Anna Magnus, and your host for today, Daniel Hennendorf and Meredith Franken, our co-hosts, are with us again through the power of Zoom. So Samantha Edwards, our I Am Able Iowa researcher, provides a question each time to kick off her show, and she wants to know the following. Thank you, Samantha. So her question is, did you grow up on a farm? If so, what kind of farm was it? If you didn't, what kind of farm would you like to have? And I'll start with Meredith. Did you grow up on a farm, Meredith? Um, I did not grow up on a farm per se, but I did spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house, and they were um, farmer-ish adjacent. And they also had a cattle ranch. So um, I spent a lot of time in my youth doing things like... um, fixing barbed wire fence <laughs> or picking peaches, snipping beans, canning tomatoes, all that kind of stuff. But, um, it was actually pretty fun. I have, um, I ha- my closest auntie is only five years older than me. And so it was, you know, my aunties and me and my sisters, and we would just sit and laugh and work. And it was awesome. How about you, Daniel? Did you grow up on a farm? Oh, I did not. I think I am genetically, like, completely against the ability to do farm work. I don't like waking up early. I don't like being dirty. And I don't get along well with animals. I feel like if I did have a farm life early on, it would be, it would have been miserable, but not on account of the farm, just on account of uh, the way that my body functions. All right. So how about, I know the answer, but our listeners might not. Kim? I did grow up on a farm, a generational family farm in southwest Iowa. I had uncles that did row crop cattle, and my father is a hog farmer to this day. So I've gotten to do all the all the little things that go along with being a farm kid, um, staying dirty, making sure that you do the chores correctly or you have to redo redo the chores multiple times. Uh, So I I very much enjoyed growing up on the farm. And it's one reason I I like working with Easter Seals Rural Solutions Program today. So Dan, I'm going to go back to you. So if you, I know you don't like getting up early and the whole farming life is probably not for you, but if you had a farm, what kind of farm would you want? Um... For the sake of my sister, I'll say that I would like to do something involving the raising of ducks. Okay, interesting. Because she is very much a fan of those. Well, let's get quacking. Would you mind uh, going, <laughs> Would you mind introducing our guest? All right, sure thing. Our guest today is Ray Mailer, an Iowa native. His father farmed the family farm while two of his brothers and his sister served in the military during World War II. Five decades ago, Ray and his brother both served active military duty at the same time. While his brother was in the Air Force, Ray served in the Army in the Infantry Division. Ray was united in marriage to his wife, Susan, while home on leave. After completing his military service, Ray utilized the GI Bill to pay his way through college. Ray received his degree as a chiropractor and continued postdoc studies with one year of additional training in radiology, completing a three-year program in orthopedics and a three-year program in occupational health with board certification. In the winter of 1996, Ray was traveling on a highway and was hit broadside. The car was totaled and he was hospitalized. While he suffered no broken bones, he experienced brain swelling due to a concussion. He has since benefited from guidance from the Veterans Health Care Services, the Whole Health for Life Counseling Program, Easter Seals of Iowa, 
the USDA Farm Services Agency for Disabilities, the Iowa State University Extension Service, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and more recently, ISU non-traditional student work with professors and grad students. Ray has also learned a lot from his time as a volunteer in the Des Moines area. Even with his healthcare background, he was unaware that Iowa had food deserts. As such, he has applied his old skills from farm work and working with the trades to start local school gardens. Ray, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And before we start, um, Ray, uh, Kim, would you mind just talking about just a broad overview of Easter Seals of Iowa and the Rural Solutions Program, just to introduce, because you're the reason why we have Ray as a guest today. Absolutely, Anna. Easter Seals Iowa is a disability resource program in the state of Iowa, serving all individuals with disabilities across the state of Iowa. Many of our services exist within the Des Moines Metro, but with over 17 program lines, we do have something for just about anybody. The Rural Solutions Program specifically, again, is in all 99 counties, and we support farmers and farm family members that experience disabilities and limitations. We serve in communities that are rural, which we define as being consider- as having a population of 2,500 or fewer. We are very excited to also say that when individuals do reside within communities larger than that, as long as agricultural operations are their initiative and that they are an individual that experiences some type of limitation or would benefit from our services, we're still able to provide opportunities um, and engagement with them as well. That was a really a great explanation. Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, we talk to Easter Seals a lot because they do a lot of really great work in the state of Iowa and around the United States. And so, uh, Ray, what's your connection with the Easter Seals Rural Solutions Program? Well, part of the, that accident, uh, I have trouble recognizing faces and following through on tasks. Uh, I had a seatbelt uh, constraint and it caused an aneurysm. So they did surgery on that, have a less blood supply in one leg, had an arm go through the steering wheel, so I have a left arm that's limited in function. Easter Seals connected me uh, by helping adapt machinery so I could better uh, do more do farming again. It's in an urban center, so I have small equipment, but I don't have the strength to lift and lug the equipment to fit it to the back of the tractor and stuff. So, and they also connected me to farmers that could help me uh, repair things, keep me uh, keep my stuff running in the in the in the field, so I can go to farmer and uh, fix broken parts and pieces. Whereas if you go to the shop, you might have to wait a week to get it done. It's a hundred dollars an hour for work on a thing. This way, I can stay in touch and keep learning what's going on with today's farming uh, activities. Did you work with Chuck Larson? Uh, I met Chuck Larson at a uh, program for uh, veterans that are uh, transitioning into farming. And those are active duty personnel and also, uh, you know, uh, veterans like myself and, you know, that had served before. Um, he provides a, a pretty good network, whether you need counseling. And our veterans hospital has a good counseling program so that uh, you can stay engaged and, uh, what, and keep yourself on track for your activities. My wife is a master gardener, so she knows when we need to do planting, when there's going to have to harvest, and the wheat. Is that the plant or is that the wheat? You know, she can keep me sorted out in that aspect. 
Um, with Chuck, though, you can you you can stay active because you can get the machinery to where you can manage it, work it, whether it's controls, whether it's getting machinery uh, to properly connect to the, the tractor so you're not making a mess of things. Um, but also introduce you to other farmers that are doing things where you can go back and stay involved, be a volunteer at that farmer until you get your skills up. When you do, they'll either pay you or you can take it home and implement it. I'm a huge fan of Chuck Larson. So, Kim, can you tell us Chuck's connection to Easter Seals Rural Solutions Program? I think he's brilliant and has the biggest heart. He definitely is that. Chuck is um, a counterpart with our Rural Solutions Program, providing services to the farmers, farmers and farm family members that we support. I won't say how many years he's been with our program, but when I was about six years old, Chuck Larson actually touched our family um, on our family farm in southwest Iowa when a family member um, encountered an injury due to an accident. And Chuck was able to travel to our farm, help us understand what those next steps towards accessibility in the home and around the farm would look like. And then those next steps towards um, my family member uh, pursuing education and a future in an agricultural related career, too. So he is certainly someone that has a broad spectrum of knowledge, many years of experience, and we tap into his expertise quite often. He has just a uh, an amazing mind to come up with very, very creative solutions, and it's always exciting to see what um, ideas he has that he brings to life through many of his projects. I think that um, what you're talking about, Kim, is really central to so what we like to talk about here at I Am Able. Um, just because we're talking about the ability and disability and how to find accommodations that can make things work and how to find, you know, creative solutions so that people can do what it is that they need to do. Um, so going back to Ray and your accident, uh, when you had your accident, what was kind of the first um, thought after you understood the severity of your injuries? Uh, <clears throat> I was angry. Mm. You know, I realized that, there is a wall there, you know, and for responsibility to the community, uh, you just don't want to cross that barrier, you know, with the risk issues and stuff. And um, it's other people's welfare. So you got to just turn around, try and find some other way to continue being a resource. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to address all your spending habits and issues and, um, what you did before for as a volunteer for recreation, I uh, have balance issues. So, uh, right where there goes a motorcycle, there goes a four wheeler. I had to, I had to be cautious on uh, ground that had a higher slope. I would stumble and just, you know, or when you have seizures. Um, meeting Chuck Larson was, was a way to open the door and if you want to go back to some of your basic skills that you enjoy, it's, I like the physical activity um, before you, you know, half the businesses start go broke because they don't have the skills understanding. And his advice was get out there and be a volunteer, get your skills up, learn the locality, learn the, learn the need as far as the types of products. So what type of farming you need, what type of farmland you need to do those products and that's going to take several seasons. It took me about seven years <laughs> of being a volunteer to get the skills up to understand that whole big concept 
Um, so we understand there's watershed issues, and that's one of the main cost components in farming is having the water to, to grow your produce. I want to do table foods. Um, with the commodity crops, it's, it's a lot of chemistry. It's a lot of calculations. There's a lot of hazmats. I was not going to be up to that type of farming, plus to the extreme, the real high cost going in. Um, Iowa has 120,000 prepared watershed sites, and those are marginal grounds, and they're even evident in town with this urban flooding and stuff. So that's what we decided to do is look at those issues. And he directed me back to the Army Corps of Engineers because they know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just point out sites. These sites, if you could address this, you could save this dirty brown water going into say little lake. And those sites are all over the place. Um, as I became a volunteer, I, the, some of the uh, teachers we did gardens for, there's also in their classroom did better than better in science. So Iowa State uh, professor up there, Dr. Flora, helped design our gardens to meet classroom outcomes for math and science and trigonometry. And uh, so then um, the, um, Chuck Larson introduced me to some college kids that are doing food court in the Des Moines area. Because I didn't know that, you know, I'm from Iowa. We had food deserts. I just, I just couldn't imagine that. My background's health guard. I never heard or understood that. And that affects the students' learning opportunities. Hey, Ray, I'm just going to stop you really quickly. For those people who don't know what a food desert is, can you explain briefly what that means? Well, they don't have the local grocery store, you know, or a farmer's market. So the students are, uh, the kids are going down to Casey's to get bread or milk or candy. I mean, how much fruit and how much decent whole wheat bread do you find in, in, a, in a gas station? And, um, you know, if they do want to, they have to get on a metro bus, try to get one still running after work, and try to hope there's one running after you're getting groceries to haul your bags all the way back into town again. Um, and it's not just the urban centers. These small towns uh, are losing their grocery stores. Our buying food, 86% of your food dollar goes out of state. And we can bring all that back home for our local economies by doing more production here. So as part of your volunteer work then, did you create, uh, help create like community gardens or how did that work? I I did. I started uh, first with uh, the churches doing church gardens. And then the students or the kids were there in daycare would come out. And uh, see the, I'd always plant a little plot of prairie so we had pollinators. And then uh, pretty soon, the, the older kids from the elementary schools would come see the monarchs and a praying mantis and go around and they'd be picking things in the garden. Um, then the churches had recommended to the schools they should have this there for their outdoor science lab, you know. Um, but once food corn came in and Iowa State Extension started following the classroom outcomes, um, and they they found that every classroom that had a garden, the science scores jumped 40%. And then I had administrators call me. So I went to the school, and I said, well, where's the, where's the meeting? 
which class is it? She goes, no, no, the meeting's in the gym. So I said, well, where do you want the garden? And they said, in front of every window. So from that part, I went ahead and bought a small tractor and a five-foot tiller because a shovel and a pick and a, and a Troy-built tiller was not going to be enough. But because of my arm and my leg, I had trouble manhandling that larger stuff. And uh, I met Chuck Larson early on. He says, well, we've got to step it up then. He introduced me some farmers in the area. Uh, and uh, they also have uh, certain farmers that will volunteer and help you get this machine re-adapt so you can back up and just clip onto it. We're going to have taken a steel bar and nudge it back and forth to get it in place so you can connect your three-point hitch in the back. You know, it's it's a pretty easy thing. So, Daniel, when you're hearing all this, does it make you want to farm or get a tractor? Not quite that much, but... <laughs> What what does impress me is how much we've been talking about the aspect of community in these farming aspects. Maybe it's just my upbringing, but when I think of the life of a farmer, I think the community is uh, not always that broad. It can sort of be maybe limited to a family, or maybe if there's a neighboring farm, they can have that aspect as long as they don't I don't know, have any overlap on their uh, actual crops that they're raising because at the end of the day, farming is in some sense of the word about helping the other people, but you also, you know, need to put bread on the table yourself. So hearing about how all of these local farmers are coming together to be able to help each other Again, maybe it's just breaking the mental stereotype that I had inadvertently formed, but it's very reassuring to hear that there's still this sense of solidarity, I suppose, in the farming community. I love that perspective, Daniel. And as you heard Ray say, he really is also paying attention to a larger picture than just his neighbors. He's paying attention to the watershed. Um, and if you're not familiar with the watershed, I get to tap back into my natural resource and ecology management background, which was before Easter Seals. It's the entire area of land that when it rains, it drains into the same body of water. So if you think about Iowa, what are our centralized rivers and every piece of agricultural land that happens in the state, that water that flows onto that land flows into those rivers and past us all. So when when farmers are truly paying attention to the world around them, just like Ray is doing, he is impacting us every single day on a, on a larger scale. He is impacting the community in a different manner. So Ray, thank you so much for paying attention to all those little nuances. Can you tell us more about, you know, how did you really decide the foundation of what operation you were going to offer? Well, I did, like I say, several years of volunteering, and I saw them work different types of ground. I looked at the operating costs, what it took to keep the business alive. Um, and then you want to look at your production rate, but it also are you growing apples that are uh, nutrient-dense, crunchy and tasty, or are you growing apples that are pithy? So that's a you know, a public health outcome. Um, the Army Corps of Engineers, when they looked at the helped Iowa uh, from the 2008 and 93 floods, 
they looked at the bigger picture. They also looked at the food sources in the Gulf Coast. And I looked at it as my cost of operations. When we, we bought some ground, we're going to put new houses, and they have to do mitigation basins. So we said, if you sell us the ground, and this water runs in the sail of the lake, then we'll put the bases in as farmers. And then you can build around it and not have all that expense in the basins and land you can't use. So they sold us this 10-acre parcel. As it became but, land here. Um, so, the, so, there's so, you know, in this area, there's hard clay. There's so much erosion, it was down to hard clay. Organic matter was 0.5, and there's a lot of runoff. So the bases now uh, capture the surface runoff from uplands, and we intercept two uh, high-nitrate field tiles. And that water goes is used for irrigation on the land. So now we don't have any water bills. We do not have any fertilizer bills. Uh, our organic matter now in five years is 4.7. So there's a lot of soil restoration. We had that 10-inch rain two years ago. And uh, part of our ground is a 10% slope. And parts maybe about a 1% slope. So it all runs in the lake. With the 10-inch rain, we kept all the upland water and our water on site. And no water and mud went to the neighbor's driveway and down to the lake. So to me, that's another resource stored on site. Um, our production is up 250%. And what will happen if we do enough of these? Like, say, there's 120,000 paired watersheds in Iowa. These are marginal grounds. You see water standing in fields. Then they replant and they respray, and they're just trying to control weeds. They lose money doing that. We want to buy those. And um, in the process, you would restore the aquatic food system in the Gulf Coast. Plus, I have no input cost for production. And then the students have worked to start a seed saving, seed sharing program. So we grow acorn squash, and squash, and it tastes really good. You save those seeds. It is kind of a bland squash, salt them and roast them. So now we have no seed costs anymore. So it's a good business model because it reduces my production inputs. We've got solar restoration. We've got free water. It's all solar powered. Um, there's 10 acres. We don't have, we don't have any people out here wrangling hoses. There's no labor costs. And we don't have any crop damage from hose wranglers. And I sell it as a, you pick it. <laughs> So we have students come out to learn our soil restoration, and, and uh, uh, the Boys Cost came out, and they did soil erosion and water quality merit badge studies out here. Uh, it's good for the community. It stops flashy fence downstream. It saves infrastructure. And 40% of the water that we use for growing our foods now goes to the aquifer. And everybody else is running it off, you know. So there's a, there's a good business model benefits. But now we can grow really tasty food. That's not local barmish to spoil people. That's public health, you know. But when we sell berries, uh, we don't grow them for shelf life. We grow them for nutrient density. And then, you know, like your berries don't last that long. And if you buy an apple, it's nice and red. And then eat it and you get a bellyache. Well, that was green when they picked it and they gassed it. We sell it right. There's less shipping, but we can sell it local. 
So that's why these local food farms need to really come into play in all these small communities. And they could, these kids could have these empty lots in town and build in the food production, send it back to Des Moines on an empty fairway truck or Casey's truck or Hy-Vee truck, and you've already got your transportation systems there coming back to Des Moines empty. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to K2I, I am Abel Iowa, and our guest is Ray Mailer, who's telling his amazing story about what he's doing to serve Iowans in our community. Now, Ray, I noticed that you're so, you like our, and for the listeners who are not viewing through Facebook Live, you just like are glowing and so happy. The happiness when you're talking about what you're doing in community is just clearly evident. But I wanted to talk to you about the doctor and in the bio that you provided to us when we were preparing for the show. I found it so interesting that the doctor said that you needed to employ other rungs in the ladder if your goal is to be a resource for the community. So you can tell us a little bit about that doctor and how that doctor informed what you're doing today. Well, and and part of this is, um, and the VA does this, they do a health coaching. What is your background and what are your strengths? You know, um, having that background and working on farm and working with plumbers, electricians, I saw a lot of different skills. And a lot of those skills are transitional. Look how much you use math in everything, you know. Um, and and um, I forgot what I was going to say. No, no, I, I, you're talking about this. I apologize. Stuff. No, 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 you're talking. And the other thing that I found really interesting is that um, I just lost it myself. I need more coffee. But you talked to those rungs in the ladder about being able to, like, make sure that you are taking care of others and yourself and mental health is part of this too about because when i was talking about the happiness the happiness is coming through and what you're doing but it sounds like it's a journey to get there it is um if you're just trained in one set of skills what are you going to do for hobby labor you're more likely to get injured at work or in your recreation or whatever than you are killed and if you don't, if you have more rungs in your ladder, you have more sets of skills. Those transitional learning mechanisms make everything else you're going to do easier. But it also provides uh, an opportunity to um, transition from one your primary occupation, make a lateral move, or step down a couple rungs, and still be employable, still adapt to that situation and see where you can fit in and, and be a resource rather than just being uh, in a chair watching uh, old movies that are now in color, at least be black and white, you know? Um, so Ray, if I might say, so it sounds like in that, after that accident, when you talk about your anger in a state of hopelessness and so getting out of that dark spot to figure out, what comes next? What I what I hear you, you say is that embracing all of your skills and all of your abilities to be able to like move into a different phase of your life. And if you just focus on one aspect of who you are, it's going to be a little more difficult to navigate out of a place of hopelessness. Right. You know, you have to be willing to ask for help. You know, there's resources. Um. In a, in a, through a broad set of organizations, um, and you have to put the time in and the work in to retrain and improve your skills. Um, but 
in farming, you're working with neighbors all the time, helping each other out. And there's a lot of collaboration. In the military, you're trained in to work in teams. And you're trained to take over someone else's spot and can't say go curbside. You know, um, things just can't halt. If you don't make a decision to do something, that's still a decision if you don't do something. But you're, it's going to be a detriment to you and to your family. And uh, I want to still be a resource to the family. I want to be a resource to the community. And anytime you're being a resource, you get rewarded with income and learning. So I, I highly recommend that if, if they haven't considered it, to visit with the Easter Seals. Uh, those accommodation farming. You can also look at that as far as uh, being a plumber, you know, being an electrician, uh, the computer skills so they can still stay functional. A professional and, uh, gamer. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, if and we'll go with voice voice controls to help you stay in touch and keep your work going, especially today's issues with this COVID situation. So many are working from home, you know, there's less commute time. So they're actually being more time online working and they're more productive. It's kind of interesting. So you talk a lot about um, being useful and feeling useful. I think that's one of the things we like to talk about um, too on this program is how important it is for everybody to feel useful. Um, so you decided to go with farming. Is is that because, you, you know, you had this farming background growing up? Did you consider other things? Well, I it was, but my wife also, she teaches. Uh, she's going to retire this year, but she also has, is a master gardener. So she still has the manager skills to keep track of things. And uh, uh, we have, uh, we started a, a variety, a, a real diverse food production system. So we have different times for planting and different times for harvesting. We don't have 10 acres of strawberries. You'd have to have a mob of people come in to help harvest and, and they'd be there for three weeks and then you'd have to let them go. If you do a, a wide variety of products, uh, we do some agroforestry. And we also have a cider orchard. We have raised beds gardens for special needs. Um, we have in-ground gardens. We have a high tunnel for extended growing season. With that, you actually spread out the workload. And that makes it much easier for me to just keep up with the work that's at hand and makes it easier for Susan to manage all these different issues on her calendar. Um, I can be working in the garden, in the orchard pruning, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm grafting some new uh, shoots on some trees to start new varieties of cider apples. And I end up two rows over, mixing up my numbers. Yeah. So, you know, that's some of the issues I have to deal with. But we're still going to have apples, you know. And the reason I went to cider apples is because I was, Chuck Larson introduced me to different people had orchards, commercial orchards. Nobody's growing cider apples. 
And one fellow visited, he's, he makes good money on it per acre, but he throws halfway because it don't meet grade A qualities. With cider apples, I'll never throw any apples away. They're going to mash them. They don't care. They don't have to be grade A. They just want two or three varieties to make a certain type of cider. So we have 14 varieties of cider apples. In between the apples, I plant acorn squash. And students instead of taking them home and eating them, and they save the best seeds. Now I have free seeds. But that's my weed control in my orchard. So, again, we've reduced the work and increased the soil biodiversity, increased soil health, and, and it takes out my weed control management time. And you do this all with volunteers? Well, I do all the work, but with the kids, students help me plan that, and they work with people at the extension office. And then we did seed germination and test our germination rates. So we knew we rather than having to buy 15 pounds of, of uh, acorn squash seed. We save seeds and they tested good germination. And I just went out and planted them. Mm-hmm. And now there's no, you know, they, they start, you start harvesting on a gradual basis with acorn squash. And so it's not like you have a three-week window to harvest. They can lay out there after frost, and they're still good. Mm-hmm. So now we had a, you know, a weed control. We have an extended harvest season. We can do it as a U-pick and set the scales in that way. Now, I also have a chestnut orchard, and we receive nuts from Auburn University and University of Missouri. And then we, the students and I packed them in peat moss, and then they germinated a taproot. And we planted them. So now they're out here um, Tuesday, and they cut off the tips of some branches, the scions, the growth, growth tips, and they sent those to um, Notre Dame for DNA testing. We're getting great big chestnuts off these trees, high-value crop. And um, so now they want to know, how we're making them survive this far north. We're the northernmost producer. We restore the soil. And then we also add, if we burn some wood, put the potash around there. It has a lot of potassium, right? So the students are all researching this stuff for me. So anyways, you can take salt and melt ice, right? And if you if these chestnut trees get froze real hard, they carry a lot of water like an apple tree, they can split the trunks. Our trunks don't split. Our uh, blossom in the spring don't get frosted off. Well, the potassium acts like a salt, too. And it's good for the trees. You can't salt the trees to stop that freeze problem, but you can add potash from uh, a wood fire, and that potassium will stop the frost thaw problem in the chestnut trees. So, Dan, so when you- we- oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Meredith. Trying to decide, you know, like how you were going to proceed. You mentioned that you volunteered at several other um farms can you talk a little bit more about your volunteer experience one it takes time and you need to go to a variety of farms to see all their practices and then come back and try to just keep notebooks so you can see what's going to work out and the students at uh anchor school district they have a stem site called orbis center they've been real good about helping me catalog keep track of these things um, and, and so then you buy a site that's going to suit the type of farming you want. And if it's a marginal ground, look at the 
restoration time frame. And so the, we have, we're down to 0.5 in organic matter. The Boy Scouts are out here, and they did all this stuff. They figured it'd take a 1,000 years to restore this soil to what the pioneers found. So, Ray, I have a question for the volunteers that you work with. So I'm hearing Boy Scouts. I'm hearing Iowa State students. Can you tell um, an experience with a volunteer that has helped you think about maybe about life and farming and just the interaction that you have with these volunteers? Uh, is there one that stands out? A lot of them do. Uh, we have uh, young men and women come out. And so they show up hungry. And we do some work and then leave hungry. Yes. And what do you think they learn from you as they're volunteering and interacting with you? What do you think they come away from this experience? They learn hands-on skills. And they learn to, to, before you do something, just pause, try to reverse. You've been somewhere and volunteered. Look at reverse engineering a little bit to see what you can implement somewhere else. And these new cell phones are great because you can take a good picture and then put your computer and make notes. You know, so they show up on a little grill and they're cooking brats and then we do some work and then they, they cook another brat that, and, and we're only 10 minutes from the high school. And they said, we should have a cook center. So I had a guy come out and give us a bid on a cook center with the stone on it and concrete top. It was like $10,200. I said, well, I'm on my budget. So I said, next time you come, let's go to bring wear real shoes, bring heavy gloves, and let's go to Menards. We spent $160 on material because we had a whole bunch of rocks here from our construction of the house and the barn. And then there's, uh, I think, four girls and three boys. They dug the hole, set the corner poles, built that outdoor set where you set this double bunk, 16 foot long and, and uh, about three and a half feet deep, put the diamond mesh and cemented the stones to it and made the concrete top. And we had $186 in that thing. They were so tickled. And this young fellow goes, I'm telling my dad. And this girl goes, whiner. He goes, no, <laughs> I'm telling my dad. I could do two of those a week. <laughs> in, in the length of time, it was two and a half days. And most of the materials came from on site. So, so kind of, they saw a huge big picture. You know, a lot of girls now want to farm. They want to look at the soil, rest, soil restoration, look at the water quality. We got a pond out back. There's ducks out there. You know, they see deer walking through in the middle of the afternoon. We're going to stop you, Daniel. Did you hear there's ducks out there? So That's why my <laughs> sister's got to hear about the ducks. I know. So, Ray, what would you say to Daniel, who's you know has an interest on behalf of his sister about farming and ducks, but not interested in farming so much? How would you convince him to come volunteer for you? Well, um, I guess with the soil restoration and being a resource to the community at large, uh, this type of farming is a low-cost startup. It's a small site. You don't need millions of dollars to buy two or three farms to make a base income. You don't need a million dollars for the equipment. Uh, We use mostly wheelbarrows and shovels. Um. We've created a good place to land. And by land, I mean real estate. And you own it. You build equity. Uh, we can sit out in the back patio and uh, see the birds coming and going. 
we see the ducks land and take off. Where we took care of the gullies and deer walk in there, and then that's where the deer have their fawns now. So, Daniel, did that convince you? I'm not getting my agriculture major quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you thinking, Daniel, as you're listening to Ray and you've heard what uh, Kim has had to say about the Rural Solutions Program? There's um, a question that's sort of been on my mind for a little while that was brought back when we were talking about how your wife's been setting up her garden. If memory serves, you mentioned that there were some uh, aspects of the acreage which were elevated to allow for people with physical disabilities to sort of assist with that aspect of the farming. And hearing that, it just makes me think, oh, you're working either with Easter Seals or just based on your past experiences to allow as many people as possible to have this experience if they if it's something that they want to pursue. So... Have you personally been working with those with physical or mental disabilities and allowed them to sort of engage with this farming lifestyle as well? Yes. Um, both Susan and I have been in REC, which required hospitalization. And so for her, that raised bed makes it easier. Uh, when I was asked to do gardens at the schools, they wanted some for special needs. And we we're pricing those for a plastic tub that was like two foot wide and four foot long. They wanted $300 for a plastic tub. Well, in the winter, you're going to get freeze and thaw, and in the cold weather, those tubs will crack. And I was talking to Chuck Larson, and again, back to Easter Seal, somebody that knows the area and can pick up opportunities, he goes, just head down to the overhead door company. And they've got a wide variety of doors you can use. So I went down and, and uh, talked to uh, uh, the overhead door company. And they said, there's a roll-off back over here. You can have what you want because it saves them from repurposing them. Some doors got dinged on installation, so they're still brand new. They're, they're uh, double-sided with uh, styrofoam in them to make the garages more, you know, efficient for winter heating and stuff. And if you get a, oh, a eight foot, three eight foot doors and you cut one in half, you've got a four by eight garden. It's raised. Some doors have windows. You can cut those in half and make your canopy. So now you got a garden that's kind of like a high tunnel uh, for extended season. You can start early in spring, you can go late in the fall. And then uh, uh, you just fill them full of a uh, soil compost mix, and you're ready to go instantly. Even if you have a schoolyard that's been trampled like a driveway for years, uh, you just grow white on top. So, you know, that's we've got about a dozen raised bed gardens out here, and they're absolutely free. So when I hear about Chuck and uh, Easter Seals, the doctor in your life, your wife, what have you learned about people through this experience? Folks are generous, you know, and they're, they're willing to help, and they, they're a tremendous resource. I would say for yourself even, you can support these organizations. You can volunteer at these organizations. And uh, every time you volunteer, you're going to meet people that are 
happy to be a resource. You have to do it. You have to put the work in and you have to put the time in. And if you don't, you're missing out on making a lot of good friends. Yeah, and you said that um, in the pre-interview materials that you have to be willing to ask for help, and that can be really difficult. Was that difficult for you? Well, I had um, management issues after the injury. Um, and so we went through, uh, our start was Lutheran Family Services. So I get my head on straight and either stay in the house or quit harassing the family. And uh, I was fortunate. Uh, my neurologist had been uh, in uh, Dachau during World War II. That's where. And he said, time is your only commodity, period. You can figure out quick and get with it quick, or you can get pushed out of the way, you know. And my wife said, well, he's blunt. He's almost rude, but you need to be blunt. You know, and an employer is not going to put up with so many issues. Get them a resolve and, and get yourself around and back in shape to be a resource within your abilities. And if you work within your abilities and you can have each yourselves help adapt things so you can stay functional, that takes the stress out of your life. You're not dreading starting that next day. I think you bring up a really interesting point, Ray. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is I Am Able Iowa with Meredith Frankham, Anna Magnuson, and Daniel Hedendorf, and we're talking to Ray Mailer. Um, we just like uh, Samantha Edwards, our intern, uh, put together a few questions. So I just want to throw one of her questions out at you, uh, which I think goes along with what you were talking about. And her question is, what advice would you give to individuals who acquire their disabilities later in life? Well, I've had depression with this but not self-destructive depression. Um, 75% of the after-duty personnel that uh, retire don't have a job lined up. And if you have injuries to it, that's more complicated. I've had two young veterans that have been out here visiting me and helped out that have taken their lives. And there's 120,000 these small farms sitting in Iowa for FFA students to start their careers or 4-H students or adults, they're smaller farms, and my turnaround time is, you know, it's just a seasonal turnaround time. It's not a 10-year education to do this. Um, I kind of forgot your question. I apologize. But if it's later in life, I was later in life. You know, both Susan and I have been together over 50 years. So we're over 70. And the work, daily work is good for me. It really, really is. So it sounds like what you're saying is, is that your advice to people who might have a disability later in life is to find some kind of work that makes you feel useful and right. keeps you moving to help stave off some of that depression that will naturally happen. And you have to work your whole body. Sit, walking a treadmill or walking in the mall is not going to do it. You got to bend and twist and pull and push and work the whole core strength of the body. And then you have to eat better. You know, football players eat different than wrestlers. And these kids on the farm feed their um, uh, horses different compared to what their usage is. 
right? You feed a you feed a barrel racing horse different than you feed a draft horse or just a pony. And farmers even feed uh, their their laying hens different than their broiler hens. So a lot of you look at the major sports, they do that. So what first thing I gotta tell them is what I did when I was in practice is if you got this chronic problem, before we're gonna start care, it hasn't killed it. You've been fighting this for seven years, you've been all these different clinics and stuff. I want you to start eating better. And then come back in three or four weeks. And then we'll start care. Ray, so I'm hearing yes. that my Cheetos and not moving and just watching, binge watching Netflix is not a good idea. And Kim, I wanted to ask you as you hear this, I mean, I do have such mad respect, all of us do, for Easter Seals and Chuck Larson and your whole entire team. And you know Ray's story, so as you're hearing his um, story again today, what, what questions or things were you surprised by today? Well, Ray, thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's truly what we drive to do is to help individuals identify what their purpose is, and especially individuals who have any disability or, or limitation to pursuing what they thought they would pursue from childhood, having them know that there really are no limits. And assistive technology can really be one step to making things more accessible and inclusive. As you heard Ray talk about, if someone can't bend over to plant a seed in the ground, finding free materials to build up a garden bed. In our backyard, we use old mineral tubs from my uncle's farm. So we repurposed and reused things and they've lasted years and years. So when it comes to talking to individuals who really don't know a lot about farming, Ray, when people picture just the typical large operation row crops, what advice would you give to somebody to help them consider agricultural as a possible opportunity for employment or just a purpose-driven activity? There are a lot of organizations and uh, Chuck Larson Israel is affiliated with most of them, whether it's Farmers Union or Practical Farmers, uh, FFA, 4-H. He knows the contact people in there. And being a volunteer, you learn the different aspects of it, and you can pick out opportunities that are going to suit your desired outcomes. And then you can look at the time frame to achieve that for desired outcomes. So when um, we're finally done living here, rather than um, having a house with a big yard to mow, we're going to have a working farm that the kids inherit. That's generational wealth. I have a grandson. He thinks he already owns it. He's learning when I was with farming, there are certain steps and processes that have to be followed. And learning to follow certain processes helps you through your education to sort things out and put the pieces in order so you can come to an answer for the test or a solution. And with, uh, when the students who look at that, but reverse engineer certain things, then it's a home run. You know, that's ingenuity. I think the other thing, Ray, is that um, the resilience and your willingness to be able to, like, look at life circumstances and as they change, adapt to figure out what can I bring to this life and to others. And so, again, when I when we 
on Facebook see the happiness when you talk about the students coming up with um, solutions. That comes from a place of being able to embrace what life has to to offer. Um, I, I, I'm getting that. So, Daniel, for you, what are you thinking? I'm trying to convince you to do a duck farm. I know you are. Um, I think a part of it is, well, this is sort of, mm, I'm struggling to word this, so give me a moment here. Um, well, on the one hand, I can understand and appreciate how it's, you know, anyone can partake in this activity. Like, this is this is not something that has set up barricades. We have established that completely throughout this show. But at the same time, I think, like, maybe in my case, maybe in those others as well, there are parts in life where you sort of realize that there is something that, while it's something you can do, it might not be something you're passionate about. So... I think it's okay for, you know, folks like me, like, maybe we just do want a taste of that life. Maybe we want to spend a few hours, maybe a week, some amount of time doing the work. But at the same time, I think it's okay for us to be able to say, we can respect and acknowledge the hard work and effort that goes into this lifestyle. But we also know this is not something we can really maintain. And, like, it's... That's sort of, I don't want it to say it as like, it's quitter talk, but I do want it to be something like establishing a boundary between what can be done and what you know you can do with your current abilities. And again, abilities can grow, et cetera, et cetera. We do not want to be defeatist on the show. But you also have to keep in mind limitations. You go beyond those limitations, you're just going to get hurt more. It's a weird line there. And it's something that I might have to think about over these next few weeks. Well, I'd like to have you support me and come buy from me. And we'll take- <laughs> uh, you Where do you and- sell your produce at, Ray? Ray, where do you sell your produce? How do you market the produce that goes um, back into the community? Well, the Veterans Healthcare Center in Des Moines has a farmer's market. I work with the schools. Um, Anchor School District has 12,250 students in the STEM program that we work with. I have loads of customers. I can't produce enough, right? Um, People can look at our Facebook pages and learn more about what we're doing. Our business farm is Watershed Mitigation Farm. And we'll put that on our Facebook page as well and get that information out. Um, Just because we're running out of time, I do want to go back to Daniel's point. So what I hear you say, Daniel, is that we all have an individual path and that whatever we decide to do is okay because we're just trying to all figure it out in our individual path. And whether or not that's farming, I'm actually really not trying to convince you to get up early and feed the ducks. But I think it's just finding our passion and being able to connect to those who are passionate about what we do and be able to support each other through this journey. Much better said than I did. No, you're you're good. So, Meredith, what do you got to say in these last couple minutes? Um, I think the way that Ray has been able to find something that he's passionate about uh, and very committed to that not only serves him, 
but serves the community, I think is just fantastic. I love how it's so collaborative. I love how it's so community building. I love how you're going out into schools and you're not only providing food, but you're providing educational opportunities. I think you bring up a really important point that all of these things are connected and being able to apply things really does make a difference in, um, in the lives of a lot of people. Um, you touched briefly on the fact that veterans, you know, and the depression and the rates of suicide and how important it is to feel um, like you are a productive member of community. And this program, um, bringing it back to Kim for Easter Seals really briefly, um, provides the uh, tools that people need in order to um, start doing something that might help them find that. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I also think the old individualized path as far as like when you were talking about you feed a horse differently than a wrestler, than a football player, we all have our own individual individual needs as well. I interrupted you, Ray, though. Go ahead. Well, we work with the schools through our another Facebook page called Cherry Glen Learning Farm. And that's where I see a lot of the school activities and what they do out here for their hands-on uh, STEM learning, but it's mainly related to food production. But that involves the kids mixing the proper cement mixes or putting up, uh, you know, wooden structures and building things and doing irrigation. So, Ray, so. we have 30 seconds. Can you give us your last thing that you would like our listeners to know today? Uh, I would recommend that they start looking for opportunities to volunteer or serve the community and build the, put more rungs back in the ladder Maybe you weren't on a farm. You didn't work when they traced people as a youngster, but you can still gain those skills now. It's physically active. It's good for you. You're going to meet a lot of go-getters. And speaking of go-getters, it's time to get quacking again. And so, Meredith, where are we in the program? Uh, So this is KHOI Story City Ames. You have been listening to I Am Able Iowa. I Am Able Iowa airs the first and last Saturday morning of each month at 9 a.m. on KHOI 89.1 FM. You can also hear us streaming live online at khoifm.org. On the Saturdays in the middle of the month, please tune into Insight of the Mind with Julie Saxton, who provides valuable information about mental health issues. We invite you to share your comments, questions, and program ideas with us at contact at iamableiowa.com. You can also visit iamableiowa.com to find previous episodes and more information about our program. I Am Able Iowa is produced by Able Up Iowa, headquartered in Ames, Iowa. Able Up Iowa helps people of all abilities become independent by providing solutions to financial needs and empowering them to achieve their financial goals. Our I Am, our I Am Able music is composed and performed by Sean Ryan. I Am Able Iowa website is brought to you by Barbara Wright, Iowa, Able Up Iowa, Kurt Sorterberg, and Lynn Van Clark. Thank you, Dr. Jesse Bollinger, Samantha Edwards, Kimberly Chance, Easter Solos, Iowa, our guest, Ray Myler, for joining us this Saturday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting I Am Able Iowa and KHOI. Until next time, this is Anna Magnuson, Daniel Hedendorf, and Meredith Frankham saying, you are Iowa. Oh,